Takes is a podcast from BCA Research, informing investors with straightforward, actionable analysis of macro and market events. Hi there, and welcome to the Quick Takes podcast. I'm your host, Rakaya Ibrahim, strategist at BCA Research. Last week was a big week for FX markets with the Fed, ECB, and BOJ all meeting to decide on monetary policy. Although the Fed and ECB both hiked by 25 basis points each, they abandoned forward guidance and instead underscored that incoming economic data will ultimately guide their future policy decisions. Meanwhile, the BOJ tweaked its yield curve control program to allow for greater flexibility in 10-year JGB yields. These decisions and the central bank's future actions inevitably have an impact on FX markets. And in the few days since the policy announcements, the DXY remains on the uptrend that began in mid-July. Will this trend continue and what forces will dominate FX markets as G7 central banks favor greater data dependency? To help answer these questions and more, this week I caught up with my colleague Chester Tonifor, who heads up BCA Research's FX strategy service. Hi, Chester. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Kaya. So last week, we had several important central bank meetings. There was the Fed, the ECB, and the BOJ. Let's start off with the first two. The message from the Fed and the ECB was quite similar. They both ditched forward guidance, and instead, they strongly reiterated that they are data dependent. So the incoming data will ultimately determine whether they have already reached the end of their rate tightening cycles or if there's more hikes to come. Now, one interesting dynamic that's happened in the FX space over the past couple months is that even though economic conditions have been significantly worse in the euro area than in the U.S., according to, for example, economic surprise indices, the euro has nevertheless appreciated versus the dollar. Now, this dynamic has shifted more recently, and the dollar has been strengthening since mid-July. So in this context of greater data dependency from the Fed and the ECB, What is your assessment of the likely direction of EURUSD? Do you think that there's scope for the recent dollar strength to continue? And what data points will you be paying closest attention to that you believe will dictate the outlook for this currency pair over the remainder of the year? Very good question. To start off with, according to all of our models, the euro is shaped. Whether you're looking at purchasing power power parity models, you're looking at productivity models, you're looking at interest rate differential models, the euro is cheap. Uh, according to our favorite measure, the purchasing power parity model, the euro is undervalued by about 15%. So the recent strength can be attributed to a reversion to fair value. That said, the near-term path for the euro is quite problematic according to the data that we're looking at. So if we look at interest rate expectations for the euro area relative to the U.S., they suggest that the euro has overshot. If we look at the data that is coming out of the euro area, the data has also been quite soft, especially vis-a-vis the U.S. What data am I talking about? I'm talking about PMI data. Uh, In Germany, we got data that was quite close to the pandemic low in terms of the manufacturing PMI. If you look at the IFO expectations that came out of Germany, if you extrapolate what that means in terms of the lead to the PMI, so you look at the expectations component relative to the current situation that deteriorated. Bank lending standards were quite problematic 
in the euro area. And uh, we have published a chart that shows that the PMI in the euro area versus the US tracks EURUSD quite accurately. And so if you look at that divergence currently, and we're sitting close to the 2020 lows, it tells you that in the very, very near term, the euro is susceptible to downside. That's within the context of a currency that's quite cheap and could appreciate in the longer term. Now, the Fed and the ECB are not the only ones that are being ambiguous about their future policy decisions. There's also greater uncertainty across G7 central banks in general about what their next move will be as they near the end of their tightening cycles. So, for example, earlier this week, the Reserve Bank of Australia's decision to keep policy unchanged was a surprise to consensus expectations that it would hike by another 25 basis points. And last month, the Bank of Canada raised interest rates for the second consecutive time after it abandoned its pause in June. So overall, in this context of the absence of forward guidance and greater data dependency across most G7 central banks, what will be the key driver that you believe will determine the winners and the losers in the FX space? Yeah, it's a good question. I think within that context, we need to pay attention to the data, just as the central banks are doing. And I think in terms of the appropriate FX strategy, you need to adopt some sort of a barbell strategy. What do I mean by barbell strategy? Barbell strategy would be to buy some of the cheapest currencies, as well as some of the safe havens. Like, you know, if we do get to a prospect whereby we have some sort of a recession or hard landing or whatever, like, you know, like it's the current debate in the economic environment. Within this context, you have some currencies that are very cheap. We know that the dollar is overvalued across the board, across most currencies. The currencies that are cheap compared to the dollar a lot of pro-cyclical currencies. So in the FX space, we're along the Norwegian krone. We're along it at the cross. So we're along it relative to the Swedish krona, but the Swedish krona is cheap as well. We like the Australian dollar in case there's any positive surprise out of China. We do not like the New Zealand dollar, which is overvalued according to our models. So I think you need to be nimble in this space, in this data-dependent space whereby central banks are pulling the data and they are going to be responding to the data. In a nutshell, if you look at the currencies who are long, Australian dollar, Japanese yen, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, and all of that, this is based on the prospect that you're going to have some sort of policy convergence. So in the case of the Australian dollar, any positive surprise out of China would be a good thing for the Australian dollar. It is heavily shorted. It is hated. Chinese assets have not done well. So any positive surprise out of that will be positive. And you want to apply that prospect as well to other crosses. As you mentioned, if you take a look at the yen's performance so far this year, it's the worst performing G10 currency. It also had a very bad 2022. So in terms of that market, the BOJ last week made an important tweak to its yield curve control policy. Even though it didn't officially raise the cap on 10-year yields, it said it will adopt greater flexibility. So basically, the 0.5% ceiling is more of a reference rather than a strict limit. But the yen has actually weakened against the dollar in the past few days since the BOJ's announcement. So going forward, do you think the BOJ's tweak is enough to boost the yen's prospects? It is a necessary but not sufficient condition for the yen to appreciate. So 
maybe let's just go back on what the BOJ did because the market has been interpreting this in a lot of ways. Policy rates were left unchanged at minus 0.1%. Yield curve control was maintained. 10-year yields allowed to fluctuate between the minus plus 0.5% band, but there's greater flexibility on the upper bound of this range. So what that means is that 10-year yields in Japan now can rise to 1%. If the BOJ deems it necessary based on market conditions. So a couple of indications come from this. The first market implication, I think, is the BOJ is going towards lifting that yield of control completely. Why would I say this? Potential GDP in Japan, according to the BOJ, is 0 to 0.5%. If you have a cap at 1%, and in your statement, you clearly state that you don't expect yields to rise to that point, then it's a systematic way, like it's a way in which you sort of gradually lift your curve control, which is what they did, by the way, in the past when they had the BOJ buying of JGBs before implementing yield curve control, they sort of had the two policies in place. They had 80 billion yen in terms of JGB purchases, but that did not really matter. So we know that that yield curve control is going to go away. Implications for the yen, couple of things you need to look at. Economic data in Japan has been improving. Part of that has been on the back of pent up demand. If that keeps improving, then you would expect that the inflation forecast from the BOJ, the economic forecast from the BOJ are going to go up. We had a huge increase in Shunto wage negotiations this year. That should begin to start feeding into actual wage growth. As we are speaking, uh, Rukaya, uh, the government is mulling a 4.3% increase in minimum wages in Japan this year. So wage growth is improving. Inflation expectations across a broad swath of measures, whether you're looking at the government measures or you're looking at market measures, are also rising. If that continues, then you would get a path in which the BOJ is going to relax yield of control, going to give it up altogether, let those 10-year yields move higher. So that's the macroeconomic impact for the yen. Cheapest G10 currency undervalued by 40%, also one of the most shorted G10 currencies as many investors have been embarking on carry trades. To answer your first question, why has the yen not appreciated? Given that the Bank of Japan was a little bit cautious in lifting that yield of control, carry trades came back on. And so people are shorting the yen, they're buying higher yielding currencies. Thanks a lot for joining me today, Chester. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, Rukaya. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Quick Takes podcast. We'll be bringing you weekly quick takes with BCA strategists on a range of macro and market topics. Stay tuned for next week's episode.